look at God's Word in our Scripture reading, and I'd like you to turn with me to Matthew 22. If you don't have a Bible of your own, our ushers have Bibles available. Just raise your hand so that they can bring a Bible to you that you can use throughout our service. And with your Bibles open, would you please stand in respect to the reading of God's Word? We're reading Matthew 22, verse 23 through 33. Matthew 22, verse 23 through 33. Let's give respect and attention to the reading of God's word. The same day, Sadducees came to him who say that there is no resurrection. And they asked him a question saying, Teacher, Moses said, if a man dies having no, no children, his brother must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers among us. The first married and died, and having no offspring, left his wife to his brother. So to the second and third, down to the seventh. After them, after them all, the woman died. In the resurrection, therefore, of the seven, whose wife will she be? For they all had her. But Jesus answered them, you are wrong because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was said to you by God? I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when the crowd heard it, they were astonished at his teaching. May God give us understanding as we begin a new series, a new series in the Gospel of Matthew. We will start here in Matthew. Actually, we'll start at the beginning in Matthew, but this is the start of our new series. I pray that this will be fruitful for us all as we go through God's Word together. As you remain standing, would you bow with me in a word of prayer after prayer? Our choir comes to special music and then the preaching. We also have communion set aside today, so we will um, enjoy all of those things. So please bow your heads with me for a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this time together. We pray that you'd bless it. May your word draw us to focus on you, who you are, what you've done, how you have accomplished your purpose through the Lord Jesus Christ. And the gospel is proclaimed that all might see Jesus who, for who he is and come to him in faith, trusting in him, in his work, his miracles, his finished work on the cross where he died for our sin, all the sins of those who would trust in him. And he rose again on that third day to show your approval in him. You call all people everywhere to repent and trust in Jesus. And in repenting and trusting, you give eternal life to those who come to Jesus. We pray that you would proclaim this truth. And as we hear that we might trust, embrace, 
and then follow Jesus, living a life that's glorifying to him and praising him. Bless this time now. We pray your healing and blessing on those that are part of this group who are suffering in so many different ways, some with just nagging illnesses and, and ailments. We pray and thank you for your healing during the week and that some are here and may still be feeling the effects of, of sicknesses. Others, Lord, have other issues that they are seeing the doctor for or operations or surgeries or things that they have, are enduring. We pray, Lord, that you, for your healing, first of all. We also pray that as they go through these times that we all must go through, these bodies are wearing out. They're not going to last forever. And so while we're in these bodies, we pray for your strength to glorify you in it and through it and be a testimony to you. At that time, when you choose to heal or when you choose to call us up to that next step to be with you, that our life might be a testimony for you in whatever we have experienced, in sickness or in health, that, that we would glorify you. So that's our prayer today. And we pray uh, now for the preaching of your word as we go through this series that you would, um, you would instruct our hearts, guide us, encourage, motivate, challenge, rebuke, minister to us that we might be faithful in trusting Christ. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Now our choir comes with special music. First question from all people into his kingdom. And so Matthew is going to tell us more about this kingdom of heaven, what God has in mind and how Jesus fulfills that kingdom. Jesus has issued in, he has, he has inaugurated the kingdom of God, and he has he drawn his people, the Jew, he has drawn also his people of Gentiles into that kingdom. And we'll see uh, what Matthew has to, to say uh, about that. So I want to spend just a few minutes um, as I talk about Matthew 22. Um, I want to go back to uh, Genesis. Genesis 38. We're going to connect Matthew 22 with Genesis 38. In Genesis 30, can you turn it with me? Genesis 38. Sometimes in your Bible you have a heading of a chapter. What does that heading say in Genesis 38? Okay, two names, right? How many have that? Judah and Tamar. Judah and Tamar. It's interesting that this comes at this time because in Genesis 37, we started on the story of Joseph. Um, the, the, the one with the coat of many colors, right? Who, who was... Um, at, at that time, one of the youngest of his brothers, but his brothers hated him, sold him into slavery. In the middle of this story of Joseph, we have this story propped in. If you've been reading the Bible in a year, you kind of got to Genesis 37, the story was going good. Then you get to Genesis 38, you go, what? What is this about? It's about Judah and Tamar. Now, hold off on Tamar just a second, but who is Judah? Well, Abraham had a son named Isaac, right? 
the son of promise. Isaac had two twin boys, right? Jacob and Esau, right? Am I right? Track with me so far? So you have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was the son of promise. You remember the story between Jacob and Esau, and Esau did not respect the promise that came to him, and, and he, he gave it up. Jacob was a, was a sneaky one. He's a shyster, and he tricked him out of his, 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 his blessing, so to speak. But God had already always had that in mind. So you have Abraham, Jacob, excuse me, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons. I'm not going to ask you to name them. But 12 sons are the 12 tribes of Israel. Jesus is the lion of the tribe of, say it again, Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Judah. Hmm. That's interesting. Not Levi, but Judah. We've been studying Exodus and we saw Moses is of the tribe of the Levites and he, he and Aaron started um, those who were to fulfill that, that, that place of being uh, the priest in the nation of Israel. But Jesus didn't come from that tribe. He came from the tribe of Judah. Now, st- stay there in Genesis 38, and let me just travel back. Just put a bookmarker there and travel back to Matthew chapter 1. And let me just read a few verses there, right? Matthew chapter 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham... Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. See how that goes? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Then Jacob was the son of Judah and his brothers. There's actually 12 brothers. Judah's the one named here. Why? Because Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Like, wow, Jesus from the tribe of Judah. Okay, let that stick a little bit. It says, And Judah, verse 3 now, Matthew chapter 1, verse 3, you with me? And Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. So really, go back to Genesis 38. It's about Perez and Zerah and how they were born. Let me paraphrase Genesis 38. Judah, one of the sons of Jacob, went off by himself, didn't choose a wife from among Abraham's lineage like his father and his grandfather did. He went off, found one of wild women. I don't know, you call it sowing his oats? He went off and found this woman Married her and had children. The first son they had, his name was Ur, E-R. The Bible just says he was wicked and God took him. It just says he was wicked and God, God killed him, took him off. The next son, I think his name was Onan. But before Ur died, before God took Ur... Ur had married a woman named Tamar. That's where Tamar comes in. But before they had any children, the Bible says he was wicked, so God killed him. He got married, but they had no children. He was wicked, and God killed him. 
The next brother in line is Onan. And then after Onan, um, <clears throat> Judah had a son uh, named Shelah. So he had three boys. There's this thing called leveret marriage. Leveret marriage. The word leveret means brother-in-law. And it was a principle in Israel where if your brother got married and never had any children and died, you next in line were to take his wife and she was to become yours. And her children, or at least her first child born from that, was to keep on the older brother's name. Now, I know that sounds crazy to us. And I have to admit, it just sounds strange. And it's a strange thing. But if you want to read about it, it is in Deuteronomy 25, verse 5 through 10. And you can see that exact thing. It sounds, it sounds crazy. It's so crazy. This is the law that the Pharisees came to question Jesus about. They basically said to Jesus, oh, so you one of those folks that believe in resurrection. Let me tell you how crazy resurrection is. There was a man who got married, didn't have no children, then he died. Then his wife got passed down to the second brother who married her, but they didn't have no children. Then he died. Then it got passed down to the third brother who married her, but didn't have no children, but he died. Then she got passed down to the fourth brother, and then all the way down to the seventh brother who married her, never had no children, and then he died, and then last of all, she died too. Now, if you don't believe that, that story is in Matthew 22 we just read. Because your mind was going like, what are they talking about? This is a ridicule. The Pharisees are saying, all right, Jesus, who believes the Old Testament law and believe in resurrection, how about this? So they were attacking Jesus. They were ridiculing him. Jesus, now Matthew is showing Jesus to be the one who fulfills Old Testament law and all the promises that God has made to a leader that will come to Israel. And they say, oh, now, great leader, tell me some of this. So they said to him, after the seventh brother died, then she died, never had no children. Whose wife is she in heaven? That's what they said to him. Now, you would think Jesus would say, well, you know, that's so ridiculous. That'll never happen. He said, you know what's ridiculous is you. You don't know the word of God or the power of God. Jesus didn't back down from that ridiculous trap they were setting for him. In other words, God's word has something to say about this leveret marriage. Let me tell you what it shows us. I know it sounds ridiculous to us, but it shows something. It shows how serious God is about commitment to family. Amen. We need that in our culture today. Commitment to family. 
Not being a deadbeat dad, but being committed to a family. He, he, he got us so committed, he said, look, when I have a man who's married, I want to see offspring from that marriage that brings glory to me. And if for some reason that man does not live long enough to father these children and to parent them as they should, I want somebody next in line to take that full responsibility. That's what Leverett marriage was about. It was about commitment to the family line. The Word of God required such a commitment. It's the importance of the family line. It's a strong obligation to family. That alone is a message for us today. For men not to just be making babies all over the place and have no obligation, sometimes because they don't want to be financially strapped with that. We have men who won't even take a real job because they're so afraid payments are going to come out of their check for the kids that they made. God has a strong commitment to family. And guess what? It cost. It costs something to do that. Here's the other thing in marriage that, that kind of surprises us, that if you were the second brother and you were married and your first brother's wife was now a widow, you had the responsibility to take her on as a wife. In other words... You were allowed to have two wives, your present wife, and this one that you were taking responsibility for. Now, that sounds strange to us, but again, it shows the commitment that God intended for sustaining the family line and commitment to family, the importance of the family line. This importance is why Matthew 1 exists, because Jesus is presented along this family line. And when it, gets, it goes from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob, and it comes down to Judah, and something weird happens. Judah chose not to find a, 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 a God-fearing woman that followed the, the faith of his fathers, he found a stranger. He went and married her, and they had three children, two of whom were killed by God for their wickedness and left no, uh, had no children. Now this Tamar has been promised the third son of Judah, whose name is Shelah. But she's much older than Shelah. So... Judah says, hey, look, I, if, if you stay faithful, go back to your father's house, but wait for my youngest son to grow up. I will give him to you as a husband. And that's what she does. She said, I'm going to be faithful, and I'm going to wait for this youngest one to grow up. It sounds crazy to us. I know that. But that's the, the history there. What happens? Judah never keeps his promise. And this younger boy is growing up, and Tamar sees that she's got no chance. 
to have a husband in him. She's trying to do the right thing. Judah is not. He ignores his commitment to her through that third son. And so she does a crazy thing. She goes out, acts like a strange woman that attracts Judah, and they end up having a relationship, a sexual relationship, that produces these two twin boys. Here's a surprising thing. (laughs) Judah went out, thought she was a prostitute, spent time with her, and then went back home. Meanwhile, three months later, founds out that his daughter-in-law, unmarried, is pregnant. What does he say? Bring her out. She ought to be burned to death. And they were going to do that. When she got ready to be executed, she says, she sent a message to Judah. She says, the man who's the father of my children is the is." is the one who gave me these items. You can read the story. Judah basically had arranged to pay her later, and, and uh, since he didn't have the money with him, he, uh, he gave her identification. She took that identification, and later now she said, sent it back to Judah and said, here's the guy that got me pregnant. And guess who it was? It was Judah. This is a crazy story. This is a crazy story. I want you to know this story reveals the brokenness of human sinfulness and how it affects. But this is in the line of Jesus. This is in the line of our Savior. God chose to bring his son through a wicked human race so that he could redeem wicked human people. So to finish this story, Judah noticed, he recognized this stuff was his, and he knew this strange woman that he thought he spent some time with some several months ago is no, his daughter-in-law. And he says something. He says, she has been more righteous than me. Why did he say that? Because she was banking on the promise that he had made, and he had forsaken the promise that he had made, a promise that the Word of God says he should have done, even though it sounds strange to us. He didn't keep his promise. And now in his fake righteousness, he's going to have her executed. And she sent that note to him, and he changed his mind. He says, I can't be that kind of a hypocrite. The Bible says he never had relationships with her again, but these two boys were born, twin boys. And they are in the line of Jesus, in the family line of Jesus, just like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah, Perez, and his brother, was it Selah? Zerah, I'm sorry, Zerah. They are in the line of Jesus. My point in this whole story is Matthew is presenting Jesus as a fulfillment to 
the Old Testament. And he wants us to understand some things. He's talking to a people group. Many people see, say Matthew is written primarily to the Jews. And that's true. But it's something that we ought to get from it as well. One is we're going to understand a little bit of the heritage and the culture of the Jewish people, as I just talked about today. And we're going to see how Jesus ties into that and what's significant and important. So there's this little odd rule, the leveret marriage, that's discussed in in Deuteronomy 25, verse 5 through 10. And we see it connecting with Matthew 1 and Matthew 22. And, of course, Genesis 38. God has planned all along to bring a redeemer to his people. A couple things I want you to know. The wickedness of man, the sinfulness of man, does not obstruct the plan of God. We often think that, you know, this just this messes up the whole plan. I remember I used to, to play checkers with my older brother. and You know, if he will be winning, all of a sudden you find a way to mess up the board, right? Oops, I just knocked all the pieces over, right? Oh, we don't know where they were. Oh, I guess that game is over. People think that human beings do that with the plan of God. God has everything intricately laid out and all these details, and all of a sudden we just, you know, our sin just kind of messes up his whole. Nope, Mm-mm. nope. It's like God picking up the board and the checkers and saying, no, I remember exactly where things were. (laughs) We finna finish this game. (laughs) God's plan is not thwarted. In other words, there's no surprises by mankind or by history that wreck or ruin the plan of God. That's good to know because you and I are here sometimes as a result of things like Tamar and Judah, but yet we're here. Another thing we learn, the children born to foolish behavior are themselves honored by God. Respected by God as human beings. They they had nothing to do with that. They had nothing to do with that. And so God is using and and working his plan regardless of the foolishness of mankind. A lot of things to learn there. In God's plan, it points to Jesus, and sometimes in surprising ways, and this might have been one of those. You can read through now the line of Jesus and you see others. Can I just point those out real quickly? Let's go back to Matthew chapter 1 and then I'm going to move on. Matthew chapter 1, we talked about Tamar and Perez and Zerah. So let me start at verse 3 of Matthew chapter 1. Are you with me there? Amen. And Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. See, the Bible doesn't ignore that. points it out. And Perez, the father of Hezron, and Hezron, the father of Ram, and Ram, the father of Aminadab, Aminadab, the father of Nashon, and Nashon, the father of Salmon, Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab. Who is Boaz? Who is Rahab? Rahab is called Rahab the harlot. Wow, what a nickname, right? Rahab the prostitute. She's known because that's who she was. She was a prostitute. You remember the story of the walls of Jericho? That God had the 
army of Israel marched around the walls of Jericho for six days. In the seventh day, the walls came tumbling down. Well, there was one woman there who had hidden away the spies, and she trusted what God said. She believed what God was going to do. She happened to be the prostitute. She happened to live, had, had her little apartment in the wall itself. And she hid the spies. God rescued her because of that. And now she is in the line of Jesus, Rahab. You can go on further and you see verse 5. It says, And Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth. Remember Ruth, there's a book written about her, and we see that she, um, she was a Gentile woman, a Moabite, not a person of Israel, but a Moabite, and yet she is in the land, the line of Jesus Christ. So I just wanted to point that out. We won't go through the details there, but that might be interesting reading for you. Matthew is pointing out that this Jesus feels is the fulfillment of all that God has promised, and he's bringing out these details to show this Jesus is not just your average dude. <laughs> he is a Savior that God has planned and fulfill all of God's plan. Trust him. Trust him. Believe him. And so we come into this study in Matthew with that in mind. I pray that God will lead your heart through this study to the Lord Jesus Christ, who he is, to see that he is one who respects what God has said in the Old Testament. Hopefully it, it, it adds to, um, to your understanding and trust of the Bible as a whole, the Old Testament as well as the New, and seeing God's plan of the Old Testament being fulfilled now in the New. Um, I'm going to have a word of prayer in just a moment, and we're going to ask our leaders to come as we prepare for communion today. I know this is kind of an obscure type message, but um, yeah, so is Genesis 38. <laughs> obscure message. But the Word of God has a point to where it's going. Is there a point in your life? Is there a point to your life? God is doing some things that you might think as strange or unconnected. He is bringing you to himself. Don't fight God. Trust him cooperate with him, knowing that following him is for your good. Say yes to God. You might say, wow, I couldn't believe that, but after saying wow, say yes to God. Connect, allow him to, to, to lead you, to guide you. Father, we thank you uh, for your word today. As we go into communion now, we pray, Lord, that you would just give us an appreciation for your truth. Help us to see Jesus. Help us to see what you would call for us, that you, what, you, um, what you ask of us, that commitment to your son, that unwavering commitment to your son, to open our eyes, to see him for who he is, and to trust, to love, to give our lives for him as he has given his life for us. Bless this now as we go into communion, that we would um, honor you in taking communion today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I'm going to ask our leaders if they will come.